Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Welcome to another episode of the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. This is part two of marketing, the most important function of business and making money, question mark. If you haven't listened to the first episode, the first part of this, I think you need to go back and listen to that first. We covered what marketing is, the art and science, the difference between sales and marketing, why I believe marketing is the most important function in business. We talked about the two types of marketing, the brand ethereal type of marketing, the awareness marketing, and then the direct response measurable return on marketing. We talked about ABT, always be testing, multi-platform strategies of marketing. I went through some examples of data and testing. So that was all in part one. So if you're still here, it means you listen to part one and you're into part two. I just thought I should let you know again that I'm not in the studio this time. I'm in Florida looking out on the golf course with my son. I've been playing every day. You might hear some background noises. You may hear uh, my kids screaming and shouting and fighting. Bobby seems to love bullying Ariana at the moment. So you, now you know all that. Let's crack on with episode of marketing part two. There are some specific measurables in marketing that I believe are the most important for you to be tracking in your business. Now, I'm not talking about profit and loss. Of course, you should be tracking gross profit, net profit. You should be tracking, obviously, your turnover, your percentage profit margins, gross and net, top line and bottom line, if you like. But they're more accounting KPIs or functions. The main marketing KPIs or measurables, if you like, are, first of all, your acquisition costs. And you would look at your acquisition cost for a lead. So that might be AQL, acquisition cost for lead. Now, you might have a target acquisition cost for lead. You could call that lead acquisition cost, LAQ. That might sound a bit more elegant. Let's call it LAQ. So you might have a lead acquisition cost, and that might, for example, be £5 for an email. It might be £3 for a phone number. It might be £6 for a phone number and a postal address. So you'd have a, a lead acquisition cost that you're targeting. Now, that's not a customer. That's a lead. And they might go onto your database or they might, you might have a lead acquisition cost for your social media, whether it's a like or a community member of a group, because you, you, you probably wouldn't immediately be able to work those out. But as you start to do launches and campaigns and you tested them and you're tracking links for each individual platform that your customer came from, you'd actually be able to get an acquisition cost that it's cost to you. Then you have maximum acquisition cost, and that would be either for a lead or for a client. Now, obviously, the difference between a lead and a client is a lead is someone who's interested in your work, and a client is someone who's bought something. Now, they, you may have different things that they can buy, so you might have a, a staircase or a funnel of different products. If you're a car manufacturer, you might have different models, but you might also have warranties and upgrades and, and maintenance and repairs and so on. So you would have a maximum acquisition cost for your client for a client based on one specific product that they would buy. Now, if you're targeting 
a spend, a maximum spend, you'd probably want that to be about 50% of your net margin. So you could afford to spend up to 50% of your net margin on that client to acquire that client, which means you're still making 50% of your net margin paying for that client. So let's say your net margin is 20% and the cost of that product is a £100, so your net margin is £20. You can afford to pay £10 to acquire that customer for that particular product. Now, what this gives you is a, a relatively low risk, well, a very low risk, but things can change, and scalable strategy to increase your marketing spend, whether it's buying data, databases, database sends, whether it's more marketing in newspapers, ad, uh, magazines. Pay-per-click is probably more measurable and targeted, so I'd probably recommend that more, but that might be YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. So we have your lead acquisition cost. And for Progressive, one of my companies, it's around about £5 a lead on average. So we know if we're getting two or £3 a lead, that's a good cost per lead. Uh, we know if it's costing more, that's a little, there's some wastage in there. But it's not the full story because it's just the lead because you might pay seven or eight pound a lead, but they might become a client more often or at a lower class cost than, say, your three pound a lead. So you obviously want to track your data through your funnel. And that's where the maximum acquisition cost comes in. So you might have a cost per lead of five pound, a maximum acquisition cost of 10 pound. If it goes anything above that, you might either stop spending in that particular marketing platform or you might run new split tests because you're not really effective with your marketing because you haven't split test new pages or new ads or new images or new headlines or copy. Then you have PHR, which is per head revenue. And that is the revenue that each member spends. Now, of course, this does depend on your business. Some businesses may differ, but if you've got a bricks and mortar shop, you can work out the per head revenue of everyone comes in the shop. And that is literally the total take for the shop per day divided by the number of people that come into the shop per day. So if you have a £1,000 spend and 100 people come in, then that's £10 per head revenue. Now, that might be that two of those bought £500 worth of stock, but the per head revenue is divided by the total sales and the amount of customers that come in the shop. And why do you average it like that? Because you could say, well, actually, Rob, most of those customers are wasted because only two customers bought a £500 a head and 98 didn't buy. The thing is, though, you, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to, through all of your marketing, track who's going to buy and who's going to not buy until you've tracked all the way through the funnel and you've worked out where all of your long-staying deep buyers bought from and you scale up marketing more in that source than others. But until then, and even that's a non-exact science, but you can work out what you can spend as a maximum so that if you pushed 100 people into your shop, £1,000 would be spent. So if you know that the maximum acquisition cost for your client to get your person into your shop is £10, which means you're going to have a 50% net margin, i.e. a £10 net margin, you know you can push 100 people into the shop per day and you're going to make a £1,000 
net margin, but you had £500, half of that was cost to acquire those leads, and you're going to make a £500 net margin per day in your business. So it becomes a fairly predictable, fairly scalable and repeatable system. That's called per head revenue. If you ever run events, you want to work out your take, the spend at your event. Now, don't include the VAT because it's not an amount of money that you take. Don't include any cost of sales. So don't include credit card fees, for example, or processing fees. Include everything else. And if you're going to take out affiliate commissions, that's fine if you have them, but make sure you just do it consistently. We don't do that. We just take out VAT and credit card fees and any top line gross costs. And there aren't others. We don't take out the cost of the the venue and other costs because they're variables. And then you have a per head revenue. Everyone that comes into your event spends X amount per head and you work and work out your lead acquisition cost, your LAQ and your maximum acquisition cost, your MAQ for your events. Now, some of our events are four or five hundred pound a head. Some of them are fifteen hundred pound a head or more. So that means that if it's a fifteen hundred pounds gross take per head, let's say that's a 20 percent net profit margin. So that's three hundred pounds. That means on a maximum acquisition cost of 50 percent of that net margin, we can afford to pay one hundred and fifty pounds to have someone turn up to our event. And in the industry, it's called a bum on seat cost. So that that was quite a revelation to me, really, about seven or eight years ago, because I didn't want to spend three pound for someone to come to one of my events. I thought, wow, you know, I've got to keep the marketing cost really low. But actually, I was costing myself a huge amount of money in not spending more. I could spend up to £150 and still have a gross per head, sorry, a net per head profit of £150. So in theory, I could spend £200 and still have a net profit. I could spend £300 and not make a, a net profit, but not make a net loss. But if then each customer went and bought something else further down the line, because there was a lifetime client value, which is LCV, then that means in theory, I could pay for someone to be in the room the entire net profit margin. I could pay £300 if they, they, spent, they then spent at a previous event or you know, there were eight or 10 different products in, in the staircase or the funnel of the business. And that can be the same said for someone who comes into your shop. If you get someone in your shop and you pay your whole net profit margin to have someone come in the shop, but you get their details when they come in the shop, then you can market to them later on and you can... They can, they'll come back to your shop maybe five times a year you'd work out and then you have net margin of 20% on the second, third, fourth and fifth and beyond spend. So this is why I love the science side, the big data side of marketing. I, I learned to love it because, I'm, as I said before, I'm not a real techie, detaily numbers kind of person, but I learned to love it because it makes business more predictable. And I'm up for loving things that make success more predictable, as I'm sure you are. So let's just talk about that LCV, the lifetime client value, one more time. And that is the value of your customer for the lifetime of them being a customer. And that could mean they're a customer of yours for 22 years. If you're a car manufacturer, they might buy six cars, one every four years for 24 years. 
So the lifetime client value isn't the first car purchase, but it's the four car purchases or the six car purchases and the warranty and the maintenance and the upgrades and everything else that they buy. So if you're a car manufacturer, it might not be £12,000 for the car, but it might be £75,000, a lifetime client value. And, and that, uh, when you track the data and the analytics back now, of course, if you're just starting your new business, you start from today and you don't have a lot of historical data and that's okay. You can, you can only build your data as you go. But if you track that data and you work that out simply by gross revenue divided by number of customers and then you get a lifetime client value and you add each year as you go. So if you just have one year's worth of data, then you're building a, a lifetime client value, but you don't know the future yet. But if you've got seven years of figures of PL statements, then you can take seven years of purchases divided by the total amount of customers over those seven years and then you have a lifetime client value of each customer. And of course, that aggregates a one-time customer and a customer who spends with you 30 or 40 or 50 times. Now, again, the lifetime client value is so valuable. And if you've got a business that's got some history and you've never worked this out, this is going to be a huge revelation to you because now you're going to be able to, with proven data, spend more money on acquiring clients. And so many businesses are not spending enough money on acquiring clients. They're not reinvesting profits. They're either spending profits or they're, they're taking profits and reinvesting it into the wrong areas of business because ultimately your future business depends on the marketing that you're spending today. Because if you're not investing in marketing today, you're not acquiring clients of tomorrow. All right then, and that can be broken down into the different marketing media. So you could, for example, have a per head revenue for your word of mouth customers, and you could have a per head revenue for your social media customers, and you could have a per head revenue for your subscriber customers who subscribe to your email or your blog. And they actually will vary. And you'd probably even want to, in your KPIs, track the lead acquisition cost the lifetime client value and the maximum acquisition cost for your main different marketing media. What we used to find in the early days of social media is social media had a higher lead acquisition cost and it had a lower lifetime client value. And over time, the lead acquisition cost on social media has got a lot lower and the lifetime client value has got higher and it's caught up with, say, people who subscribe to our blog or people who are attendees of our events because social media has become more prevalent. And ultimately now, for example, Facebook and Instagram, whilst they're free to use, they are paid social media platforms because it's the ad revenue that, that drives the revenue for those, those enterprises. So you can even break down all of those metrics into each separate media. And I wanted to give you some specifics on leverageable media, because if you've listened to marketing podcasts or, or any content or read blogs, certainly when I do, whilst I get some nice top line information nuggets, whatever, I always leave a bit frustrated that they're never detailed enough. And whilst I don't want to say that my podcast is better than others, I've listened to some from some very big names recently where it's been very top line and ethereal. And I thought, well, that's not really taught me anything other than vision and brand. And yes, marketing is vision and brand because, of course, marketing is your vision. 
And it is the brand promise. If you listen to the podcast I did with BJ Cunningham and he talked a lot about the brand promise, of course, that's a big part of marketing. But if you're not a huge company, that's certainly not as important as getting subscribers and buyers into your shop or you know, onto your online platforms. So here are some specific leverageable media that we've used that I think you can use too. Now, of course, businesses vary. We have very much a an online and an events-based business. So Facebook, and there's different parts of Facebook. You have the Facebook page where you'd have your business page. So I might have Progressive Property or Unlimited Success or other companies that I have, Progressive Let's. And that is really the shop window on Facebook. Now, a few years ago, the page was the new big thing, but the reach of pages has reduced somewhat. So whilst it's certainly still a great thing to have a page because it's almost like a website for Facebook and almost as many people now, I believe, are searching through Facebook as they are through Google. In fact, it may have overtaken. It's certainly you want to have a page for your business and a page for you. Now, a page for your business is a shop window for your business and you'll get a a lot of likes, but you won't get as much engagement because it's not personal. It's It's the page that you have of your name. You know, if you're Lady Gaga or if you're Tiger Woods, it's those pages that get a little bit more interaction and shares and and probably a little bit more reach. The Progressive Property page, I think, has about 30,000 likes. But interestingly, some posts only get reach of about five or 800 views or reach data sometimes. Sometimes it can get a lot more. And then the Rob Moore Uh, My personal page on Facebook has around 10,000 at the moment. Of course, you you might have a lot more when you're listening now. And yet some of my posts can have seven or eight or 11 or 15,000 reach, like more than there are likes because it might get shared a lot more and because it's more personal. And, And because it's from a person, someone will respond to a person. But you want both. And the reason you want both is because your brand and your business's brand are slightly different. And whilst they might be intertwined and interlinked like Steve Jobs and Facebook, celebritizing yourself and celebritizing your brand are different strategies. So if you don't already have them set up, go set them up. And if you've got them set up, but you're not leveraging them, leverage them more and leverage them more by making between one and three posts per day on those platforms. Now, I'll talk about the kind of posts that you should do in a moment. But before I do and before I forget, let me talk about the other ways on Facebook and they are to create groups and they are to do pay-per-click advertising and also how you manage your own personal profile. So the difference between a page and a profile is the profile has the maximum of 5,000 friends. It also has the follow function now, which I only recently found out kicking myself because I'd have had 30 or 40,000 more followers if I found this button a few years ago. But hey, we're all learning all the time. You earn or you learn. So the pages where you have likes and you have a limit, unlimited amount of likes. The profile is where you have up to 5,000 friends, but you, ha- you, you have a function where you can turn on the follow part where people can follow your posts, but they're not a friend, which means that ultimately it's like them liking your page. So go and set that function up right now. Find a YouTube video on it. It'll take you two minutes. Uh, And that means that from now on, people will be following your work and you'll build up a nice fan base, if you like, some followings. Now, with your 
profile where you have your friends. I recommend that, sure, you have your friends, but I also recommend allowing people to request and accepting them who are fans of your business. Now, if you've got pictures of you with your pants around your ankles spewing in some bush when you were 19, then maybe you want to separate and have two, one that's more for friends and uni mates and, you know, people that you slept with in 1985 who you've got 14 kids with that you didn't know <laughs> or and then keep the ones that are not for those mates separate them now Facebook state that you're not supposed to have more than one so you might want to make them different names or you might want to merge them into one that's kind of your call but if they find out that you've got two of the same one then they may close one of them down but I have Rob Moore and Rob F Moore and I seem to that seems to be okay and seems to work and one of them is really more for friends friends I've got about four of them <laughs> and one of them is for friends through progressive friends through unlimited success friends through the disruptive entrepreneur podcast and I maxed out 5,000 years ago and now found that button which means you can follow me too so you can go and like me on Rob Moore progressive or you can go and actually uh, follow me on my kind of more personal profile now on the profile it'll be where I post a lot more videos of my son playing golf and hitting hole in ones and playing world championships and you know maybe some of the more personal stuff I might post some pictures of myself I'm not really a great selfie taker because my beard is too big and ginger but I might do more personal posts on those and then on the one that's more for customers and friends through business I might do more businessy ones more inspirational aspirational quotes and image quotes and yeah, and that kind of thing. And that's how you might separate it. Then you've got the group and the group is the new page and the groups are really responsive. And any business you run, you want to set up a progressive, sorry, a progressive, it's in the blood. You want to set up a Facebook group around it. So have a specific theme and then have a group. So as you're listening now, this may be a bit early, but it might be live. I'm actually setting up a disruptive entrepreneur Facebook group. Now there's a book called the... Miracle Morning, which has done well, and that's got a Facebook group, and it's got 38,000 people in the group, and it's so responsive. And uh, Pat Flynn's podcast, The Smart Passive Income, he's got 20,000 people in his in his actual group. Now, the difference between having a group of 20,000 people and just a page is it's way more responsive. There might be 100 threads a day. There might be lots more in engagement and interaction. And, uh, you know, of course, you can promote your products and services and people are more engaged and addicted to your posts. So go set up a group as well around the business that you do. Now, don't set up too many because you're spreading yourself really thin and you, you might already be a member of 50 or 100 groups and you know it can get a, a little bit distracting. But you definitely want to have a group as well. And then you have the pay-per-click and the pay-per-click is either the ad or the boost. And the boost is where you boost a particular post that went well. So I've made some videos or some disruptive entrepreneur posts that have got good reach and good shares and gone kind of a little bit viral and I'll boost them, which means I can pay a little bit of money and they will get shown in more fed feeds and threads. So it's almost like a little caffeine kick for your posts. But only do that on the ones that had good shares and good likes and lots of comments. But then there's the actual pay-per-click ad, which is an advert that goes in people's feeds. And you can literally choose which demographics and groups and segments that that goes in. So you can even maximise your reach to the right people. And you might only pay, you might limit it to $20 or or 50 pounds or whatever per day of spend, so you can control it. And of course, if you're measuring LAQ, LCV, MAC, 
PHR and LCV, I think I said LCV, then you've got a really a predictable system to, to scale your business so much quicker than your customer, your competitors with minimum wastage, maximum profit and maximum growth and celebritizing yourself and your business. Now you can do the same on Twitter. You can pay for ads and also run your own account. You can do the same on Instagram. You can run ads and do your own account. Instagram have recently increased the amount of time that you can do a video. It used to be 15 seconds. For me, I couldn't get past my name. If you've seen any of my Instagram videos, it was like take 89 to get those, uh, to get into that 15 seconds. So I think it's a good move on Instagram's part. Now, Instagram works more for the visuals because people scroll a lot quicker. So maybe create some image quotes. I use word swag. I go on there and I can take any, and I always use, well, I say always, 95% of the time, unless I've run out, I use my own original images that I've taken photos of myself traveling around the world because I don't want to get into any kind of copyright infringement. And also it's more personal. And I use the same font all the time. Now, try and get your own font. Don't use mine because I might, my brand might be attached to that. But use your own font. Use the same font. Use some nice aspirational images or images that are in, on brand with the concept. And anything that you learn that you think helped you or any, anything that got good response on your Twitter or on your Facebook, turn it into a quote. And then put your name or your website underneath it and own it. Or you could take a quote from someone that you really liked and change it 50% or make it your own and then put your own name on it and attribute that because, you know, many of, I've just learned from people that taught me, I've learned from my mentors, I read a couple of hundred books a year and, and stuff that's in my head has come from them. Now, some of my quotes might be very original, like if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. But some of my quotes might unconsciously be rehashes of my mentors, and that's okay. And sometimes I might even repost a quote that I loved, and I'll always give the credit to the originator of that quote. I love Picasso's ones. I love Mark Twain's ones. And if I'm running out of my own original content one day because I'm in a different country and there's a big time zone difference, or if I'm not feeling that inspired on one particular day and I can't generate those one to three posts a day, I could go on to, I could type in Mark Twain quotes into Google, get a nice quote image by clicking the images rather than the web button on Google, and then just share that, give that credit. Now, often that gets shared more than your own. I I shared a Mark Victor Hansen quote. Some of his works really helped me, and that got more shares than some of my own quotes because Chicken Soup for the Soul has, I think, sold 20 or 50 million copies. And and whilst uh, Life Leverage is catching him up, uh, it's not quite 50 million yet. So what other media is leverageable? Of course, building an email list, writing a blog that has an opt-in page on it so that people can subscribe to future blogs. That's a very leverageable asset. I recommend writing between one and two blogs a week. You'll notice with the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, I did one podcast a week, and then we added the caffeine cast, which I'm getting really great feedback for, an eight to 12 minute shot in the arm. Now, whilst people are saying to me, Rob, I want more, I want more, I want more. If I do too much, it becomes too diluted and people don't build anticipation for it. And maybe it's too much and it gets lost in the noise. So you want to balance it out. So maybe a blog between, maybe you could do between one every two weeks, and one, two every week, something like that. Now, of course, if you cross-reference all of your content, so you might post your image quote on Instagram and have it then add to your Facebook profile. And because, you know, you can do that in these apps right now, 
Uh, you might go on WordSwag and it might, you might have a button. You've got a button where you can add it to your Facebook and your Instagram feeds. You might write a blog and copy and paste it into your social media, your Facebook group, for example. You might do a video on Snapchat, and I believe there's a function now which means you can save the videos. You might use Facebook Live videos, and then that video might then be recorded, and then you might add it to your YouTube channel, and vice versa. Then you're getting more reach, more people are seeing you, because don't assume that it's just because someone's following on one of your leverageable media, they're following them you on all of them, because they're not. And people like to consume media in different ways. So if it's on the go, they might want to see a quick image quote. So for example, I'll post a lot of the pictures of my watches. I collect watches. For, I invest in watches for as a business as well. And it's something I've always loved. It's kind of the, some, you know, I'm, I've still got a bit of spending habit, but I've, I've turned that into an investment now. Now, if I post those on Facebook or maybe on a blog, some people might think, oh, well, that's not really on brand with what I, I post. Or they might think I'm getting a bit cocky or, or whatever. They might miss my message. But on Instagram, there's loads of those kind of car and watch and kind of motivational quotes. So it's kind of, it works more on there. But I wouldn't post a long post, for example, on Instagram because they've got to be able to read it in a little square on the platform. So I'd want it to be readable on that image. So I probably wouldn't make it more than like 100 words and the quotes I might even make 25 words or less. So I hope that's been valuable to you for some leverageable, specific leverageable media. Of course, a podcast is a great thing to do. If you know something in a specific field or niche, I'm a bit hard on myself. I was going to say I felt I was a bit late to the party with podcasts just because there's some podcasts now like Entrepreneur on Fire that's got 1,200 episodes. Of course, Tim Ferriss has been doing it for years. And I think if I'd been doing it as long as them, you know, maybe I'd have 50 million subscribers or downloads like them. But hey, I can't complain at 50,000 a month so far and growing and I'll have 450,000 subscribers by the end of the year at this pace. So I suppose I'm a bit hard on myself because at the same time, if you jump onto something too early and it doesn't work, you've wasted time. But for sure, if you're listening to this and you don't have your own podcast and you have some really valuable knowledge to share or you're an expert in something, or even if you're not, but you know a lot more than others and people ask you about it, you know, I really think you should be setting up a, a podcast. Uh, maybe you should be posting videos on Snapchat. It's one I'm just moving into. So I'm not really an early adopter, but but kind of at the late stage of early adopter. So you want to be looking at the new media and looking at how you can leverage those. So perhaps consider running your own podcast or setting up your own YouTube channel if you don't do that already. Okay, so the next thing you want to be doing for your own marketing, as well as building subscribers and customers for your business, is you want to build your own fan base. Now, if you'd have been with me in 2006 when Mark Homer and I set up in my dining room, which isn't a dining room because you couldn't fit a dining room in it. 26 I Road Peterborough, PE14SA UK. Uh, we set up our progressive property business there. We had a dozen properties. We still had a spiky fun boy hair and couldn't grow beards and suits that were too big for us. And, you know, we were really young and naive. And Mark sat me down because at the time I had a full life coaching business, a life coaching practice, a success coach I call myself because I didn't see it as credible to call myself a life coach because I was only 25. Still had a lot to learn about life. But I thought a success coach was good because I'd got some success in my life. I mean, I bought a dozen properties, which was not too bad. And, and I was helping people get success in different areas of their life. And I had a full coaching practice, like 20 odd clients. And if I'm doing two sessions a, w a week with each one, I was kind of full. And we were setting up Progressive Property. 
which was our new property business. And Mark said to me, well, Rob, what are you? Are you, are you a property investor or are you a success coach? You know, what, what are you going to choose? I think you should drop your success coaching and just do progressive property. And, and I really wanted to still do the personal development and the business coaching and the success coaching side of it, because I think that was more of my passion than viewing properties and dealing with tenants and maintenance and management. And whilst I have over 600 properties now that I own or co-own, I don't do any of that myself. I've got a letting agency that has what, 10 or 11 staff and have 55 staff in the in my main central office at Progressive. And, and that's not really my hands-on passion. You know, doing these podcasts is my hands-on passion. I could do these all day. I love doing these. And so here's a regret of mine. I, I regret that I said to Mark, okay, I'll drop my business and personal coaching, if you like, and my rants and musings. And uh, as Nick Leverland said, uh, me talking shite <laughs> for half an hour a time. He said he liked the shite that I was talking. And here's the thing, I dropped that for about seven years. And if you'd ever been with Progressive, which I know many of my listeners are, you'd have known that there was a real business and personal development angle to what I taught you in property investing, because I believe that the skill set without the mindset will leave you upset. As one of my speaker coaches, Craig Valentine says, that's his quote, and I totally agree with that. So I missed seven years of a branding and building my own following and fan base. And we built a database of a progressive, of, I think now if you combine that one of my other companies of like pushing 150,000 subscribers, but they weren't really subscribing to my personal work. They were subscribing to progressive property. And so when I broke away a little bit and set up my own products like Life Leverage and the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast and the new musings, if you like, rants. I had to kind of re-educate the property people that this is where I was going and that took a year and some people maybe didn't want to follow me in that area and didn't know me for that. Now, if I'd have kept building my own personal brand whilst building the brand of progressive property, I might have had 50 million subscribers now, like someone like Tim Ferriss might have who carried on building his own brand. So I think it's really important to do both, to have your own following and fan base, your name, but not make your business reliant upon it. So, for example, Steve Jobs and Apple are one, but they're separate as well. And Apple's proved, and I, I was not sure about this, but Apple has proved that, you know, when Steve Jobs passed away, they could carry the brand of Apple and still grow that business. And, and that business had its own cult brand as well as Steve Jobs having his own cult brand, although can you call it cult when it's mass media? They still call it cult, but it's one of the biggest, at one point, the most capitalised company in the whole world. So you want to have both, your company brand and your own brand and your company customers and your own fans and your own following and celebritize both. Celebritize your brand and celebritize you. Because you have flexibility, you can pivot. If your company goes into new areas, you can still have your fans and followers. You know, for example, when Tiger Woods hangs up his golf shoes, he's still got uh, 10 million people who might follow him who might then buy his endorsed products or when he might design courses or do future work, he's still got that fan base, what you might call database. Crowdsourcing and surveying now, I talked in part one of this 
part two podcast of marketing where you can literally reduce most, if not all, of your risk by asking your customers and would-be customers and fans and followers what they want from you, what bonuses they want, what the titles of your books or if you're a, an artist, what kind of music they want you to write, what kind of products they want in your shop, if you're Tesco's, literally anything and everything. And there's, there's a name for that. That's called crowdsourcing. And crowdsourcing is where you involve the customer or the client in creating the product or the service. And I just love this. I think that this is like almost having a, a cheat, a predictable de-risked way of, of scaling and growing your business, becoming a millionaire, multimillionaire, decamillionaire, billionaire, if that's what you want, or just making the biggest difference on the planet if that's what you want, or both if that's what you want. So if you're smart, you ask your customers when you're producing your cars, what functions in the cars they like or not like, what do they want or not want, do they want something that's a petrol guzzling, growling machine, or do they want something that's a silent battery powered machine that, you know, saves the environment and reduces the carbon footprint? Do they want a big boot or a small boot? Do they want two seats or four seats? Do they want 58,000 different models like Mercedes, A-class, B-class, C-class, D-class, E-class, G-Class, S-Class, SLS, SLA, GLS, GLA, CLS, CLA, blah, 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 blah. Or do they want one black Model T Ford? Now, Mercedes are massive and they must know what they're doing. And I guess these hyper-niched models must be what people want and it must be a way to grow their brand. Uh, But if you don't listen to your customers and your fans, soon enough, you've got a sure-fired, guaranteed way of alienating them and completely ruining your business. So here's the rule. Ask your customers what next product or service they want. Ask them what you should stop, start and keep. Ask them what bonuses or ask them what media they want the products listened to in. So we've been taking a lot of feedback and I'm actually going to be doing the interviews for the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast as a video as well. And we're going to be repackaging that Uh, so that we've got it on a YouTube channel and as a podcast. And that was inspired by the London Real podcast. And I'd really love to do a JV with them because I think that uh, my listeners would love them and I know that they'd love what we do. And so we're going to be doing, uh, having a specific disruptive entrepreneur YouTube channel as well. So you've got it on video because when it's the interviews, maybe you want to see a little bit more of the, you know, of the interviewee and the dynamic between me and the person being interviewed. So that was something that we were told would be really good. And my publisher have just recently launched Life Leverage. And on launch day, so if you're listening to this, May the 5th is the launch day. If that's not already gone, book that date in. And and I'm actually giving away two new bonuses. One is the Mobile Lifestyle Summit, a brand new event I've never done before to help you build your mobile lifestyle and build mobile passive income so you can travel around the world, do your work from your laptop or your smartphone and make tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds passive income and run your life in all areas, your passion profession merge from your devices. Now, I was told by most people that's what they wanted, so I created that event. And I'm giving a year's free membership to my new online global education platform, and I was told that that was what people wanted the most. I was also told that personal mentoring from me was what people wanted, but unfortunately that's £25,000 for 30 minutes a month for a year's 
So I couldn't quite give away that many because my publisher predicted we could sell tens or hundreds of thousands on the launch day. But the point is, up until the very most expensive thing, I could give away what what our followers, customers, clients, fans wanted. And that means that when I launch on launch day, I'm giving them what they want. And I know that I'm reducing my risk of having a flopped launch and just my mum buying a load of copies, but also increasing the reach exposure, which of course is important to me because I want to make a difference across the globe and I want to help the globe become financially free. My vision, my mission in life is global financial freedom. And so, you know, I need to know what people want and give it to them. And you can do the same in your business. Now, of course, marketing is that ethereal, more kind of fluffy, if you like. What is your vision? Is it global financial freedom? And then how do you communicate that to the world, i.e. through the leveraged media, some of which I shared with you earlier? And how does your website communicate that? And how do your colours communicate that? And how does what you wear communicate that? And how, how you speak communicate that? And your keynote speeches communicate that? And the, the backdrop and the style of your videos communicate that? You know, how does ev- how do the, the style of your offices communicate that? That, of course, is important. And how unique is it from everything else? So if you want to write anything else down, write the uniqueness. I mean, they call it USP, unique selling proposition. I think it's just so, that's so corporate and vanilla. But you know, what's unique about you? What's revolutionary about you? What gets people talking about you? What's controversial about you? What's also really rubbish about you? Because that's okay, because you can't be great at everything. And I'm a bit chaotic. And if anything, I speak a bit fast. And if anything, I'll probably overload you with information. And if anything, I do things too quickly and sometimes things break. And that's what makes me disruptive. That's what makes the brand of Progressive what it is. I mean, we've got to be the UK's largest property training company so quick because we're disruptive, we're fast, but sometimes we break things and sometimes we're chaotic and sometimes we make spelling mistakes and sometimes, you know, maybe some of the videos aren't perfect. But we got out there and we made some noise. Now, if I changed the chaos, I'd also change the good about us, you know, and getting perfect later and making a difference and forging ahead. So, you know, when you improve your weaknesses, sometimes you dilute your strengths. Now, I'm not saying that means that you can be really crap at customer service and that means you can be terrible at, at, you know, your accounts. Of course, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is it's okay to have weaknesses and specialise on what's unique about you, what's great about you, but also what you're honest about, what you don't do and who you're not for, that will really help. And then how does your vision, through your uniqueness and through your brand, how does that serve and solve for most people? How does it solve their problems? How does it serve them? How does it make their life easier? How does it help them do things faster? How does it help them leverage? How does it save and preserve time? And once you've got all of those figured out and you've got the leverageable media and you've got all of the LAQs and LCVs and Macs, then you have a really powerful marketing, dominating, scalable part of your business and your enterprise. Okay, so I hope that really helped. I realise we're at nearly 45 minutes, so this is one of the longest non-interview podcasts. And I did want to do merging your personal and your business marketing. And I did want to do a launch formula to give you kind of like a formula for marketing. I think I'll save those for a future podcast because I think that they should have their own. All right. So thank you once again for listening to the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. If you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Please do post a review. I'm really grateful to you helping this get out there and help more people. 
If you share this on your social media and share the link, you need to share the actual link to this podcast, I'll give you your signed copy of Life Leverage. And remember, if this is not yet May the 5th, 2016, then book that date in your diary because I'm relaunching Life Leverage with our new publisher. And we've got some amazing bonuses just for launch day. You can help me uh, get the book out to a more global audience and I can help you. So I think that'd be a great JV. So thank you for listening.